Good morning, everyone, and here we are at Sunday, Vision's special day to enjoy a remarkable personal story of change. For many of us, it's been gutter to glory. Well, that's all today on the phone, 300 of us listening to Miraculous Change. Well, come September, when the frost is in the air, you're going to be able to see all this change face-to-face. A vision for you will be hosting the granddaddy of all Sunday special editions, 72 hours of glory in your face. We have prepared a party for you. It's our biennial family reunion. So pack up your wagon with a handful of your fellow compulsive overeaters, strap that luggage on top, and throw your tap shoes in because we're going to be dancing on the ceiling. Recovery, serving up a fabulous feast, and it's better together with you. The Power of the Big Book. September 15th through the 17th, 2017, at the Marriott Hotel in northern New Jersey, right there at the Liberty International Airport. Step into your luxury shuttle from airport to hotel. But first, I need to make a few uh, points before we move on. Important ideas to write down here. The new convention information material is up on our website, avisionforyou.info. On that home page, there's a convention countdown timer just in case you aren't excited enough. The Renaissance Hotel has double doubles with continuous shuttle. If you've booked elsewhere, come take advantage of the cheap hotel rates at a beautiful hotel offered by the Renaissance on behalf of our convention. The Community Bulletin Board is brimming with requests and offers. Seriously consider opening up your room to share in order to save even bigger. We have people that are looking for rooms everywhere, folks. Also, there's a buffet food items list on our website. So plan your clean, fresh, abstinent meals ahead of time. You'll find also limited scholarships that are being awarded. All the details and application procedures are on the website. And then one more thing. Keep this in your mind. We're going to have lively, interactive entertainment at a Vision for Youth convention straight up spine-tingling, belly-laughing excitement and entertainment. So clear the path. Don't let anything get in your way. Travel to our sort of a Mecca. Be counted in as family and present. So now for today, though, your host to introduce the joy of working with others, special guest is Leah M. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you. And good morning, everyone, and welcome to a Sunday special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, July 16, 2017. The share IDs for Friday, July 14th are for the 7 a.m. Eastern meeting, 10153. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern, 10158. This morning, A Vision for You presents the joy of working with others. Step 12 gives us a guarantee, a promise that if we take the first 11 steps, we will have a spiritual awakening. The result of working these steps is just that, a spiritual awakening. We have tapped the unsuspected inner resource of strength by working these steps, and our spirit is awakened. We will be able to do things we couldn't do on our own strength. We can receive God's directions in our lives. We have had a spiritual awakening as a result of the 12 steps. Now we carry this message of depth and weight to others. 
This is the only real message that we have to offer to anybody. It is the central message of the big book. Our responsibility now is to carry this message of hope and possibility. And it turns out that carrying this message becomes, for us, one of the most significant and rewarding things that we do. Joining us this morning is Erin G., a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Erin has experienced a profound transformation as a result of these 12 steps, and she is eager to carry the message of recovery on the line with all of us today. Welcome to the line, Erin. Good morning, Leah. May I be heard? Yes. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. What a beautiful introduction. And I just, um, it is such a blessing to be here, and I thank God, um, my higher power, for the opportunity to be here with you all today and to do service um, and talk about my, my transformation. My hope today is to share my story of transformation with a laser focus on how I work the steps and then to walk through one of my favorite chapters um, in the big book, Chapter 7, Working with Others. So I want to just start with with the numbers so everyone is um, aware of where I've come from. Um, I came to my first OA meeting in 2003. Um, I walked in, I sat down, I listened, and the person speaking, and it was a newcomer's meeting, so it was someone sharing their story, was definitely telling my story. But I didn't understand what God would care about my food. And so I actually, although I had a beautiful, I've always had a beautiful relationship with my higher power, I couldn't understand why he cared about my food. And I walked out of the room and I said, yeah, I just don't get that. And I left for three years. I came back in 2006 and um, I attended the same, one same, single meeting on a weekly basis for many years. Um, it was incredible for me to be sitting there and hearing people talk about what I had hidden so um, so much my whole life, this, this concept of compulsively overeating and, and not being able to share it with anyone was amazing to sit here and hear people talk about this so freely. But in this room that I stayed in for several years, there was very little talk about the solution and the steps. And I sat there for many years and had periods of physical recovery, but I could not stay stopped because I hadn't done the steps and I had not had that spiritual awakening and the connection to God. I know that now, but at the time it served a very important purpose and I'm so grateful that I found that room. Um, between 2006 and 2016, I did about a 10-year dance, as I call it. I danced in and out of the rooms. I did the steps multiple times. I did them in different ways. I did workbooks, worksheets, um, 30 questions, all different, different things. Um, but I never did it in the simple way that I recently um, went through the steps starting last March. Um, March 2016, and that was as simply outlined in the big book. I love to make things complicated. I like to make spreadsheets. I like to write lists, and I found that working the steps in this way as outlined in the big book is incredibly simple. 
um, the the length of my current abstinence is about one year. I am um, down over a hundred pounds. My my highest size was an 18W, 20W, and now I'm a four or a six. It's incredible. That's an important part of my story because I was getting very unhealthy. I had um, very unhealthy pregnancies with significant problems, and I know it was as a result of my weight and my binging. And so that's an important part of my story, but it is not the most important part. The most important part is the transformation that started last June and um, June 2016 and the different life that I live today. Same people, same situations, completely different, Aaron, completely different reactions. Um, so I want to talk just a little bit about what it was like before I found OA. Um, so... I'm going to take us back all the way into to when I was three years old. And my mom recently told me this story that we were walking through the, the grocery store. I lived on the West Coast. And um, a little kid pulled up next to us, to us in a shopping cart, and she had cotton candy. And I wanted the cotton candy. And so I said to my mom, Mom, I want cotton candy. And she said, Erin, you, you, you just finished your, your lunch. We'll have some something later, but we're done for now. I literally had just finished eating two corn dogs, she tells me. Um, and I wanted that cotton candy, and so I took it. I took it right out of the kid's hand, um, even before my mom could react. She tells me that um, I always loved my birthday cakes. And if you look at the, the pictures of me as a child sitting in front of my cake, um, there's one from when I was two years old, and I have my hands stretched out high above my head, and I have this look on my face like, oh, of complete excitement, like this is the most exciting thing in the world. And um, I think now understanding that about myself is really helpful because when I was binging, I was usually binging on sugar. Um, so through working the steps as outlined in the big book, I've learned that it was more than just liking food or liking food more than the others. It was that I had an obsession of the mind and I have an allergy of the body and that I'm powerless over that first bite. Once I take that first bite, I cannot stop. There's nothing that I can do that can make me stop. Um, the other thing that I've learned is that I didn't I came into the rooms because I quote unquote had a problem with food. But that wasn't really it. It's that food was my solution. Food was my answer to everything. I need to celebrate, up, oh, I got to eat. I'm feeling lonely, up, oh, I got to eat. I'm feeling angry, up, oh, I got to eat. It was my solution. I use food as my solution. And so what did that look like for me? Um, for me, it was volume binging. I would stop um, at Dunkin' Donuts and get three scoops of ice cream, which is the biggest cup they had at the time, and a dozen donuts. And I would go to my basement apartment and I would eat most of it. I would throw out the, the box with the extra donuts in them and only to be pulling out the box an hour later once my stomach cleared a little bit. It meant isolating from those around me that loved me. It meant barely fitting into my work clothes. 
and showing up at work with an upset stomach and a foggy mind after a night full of binging. It was a dark time for me. And the entire time, I showed up with a smile on my face, pretending that I was happy. I showed up completely hiding my secret and not sharing it with anyone. So when I found those meetings, that, excuse me, that meeting in 2003 and again in 2006, it was helpful to just sit there and know that I could talk about what was going on for me. Even if I couldn't say stay stopped, at least I wasn't hiding it anymore. So I'm so grateful that I had that experience of finding the room. Now I want to fast forward a little bit here. Um, I moved to New Jersey and I um, I came back into the OA room. So like I mentioned, I did this 10-year kind of dance in and out. And I came back um, into the OA rooms towards the end of um, 2015. And I was sitting in a um, in a meeting in New Jersey in a library. And I had had physical recovery. Because um, like I said, I could stop and I could lose weight and I can be very diligent and follow, quote, unquote, a food plan. But I could just never stay stopped. So it in 2015, I knew that pause button was being lifted and that I needed to get back into a room. And so slowly, the, the, the weight was starting to come back. And that, um, at that point, I had lost about 80 pounds. And they're starting to creep on. Um, I start getting scared. And I can't imagine in my mind of being back in that place of hiding from the world. I have a beautiful life with my children, my husband, a job that I am super committed to and very passionate about. And all of a sudden, I want to hide from it all and hide in the food. And I can't imagine how it happens. So I start overeating again and then undereating and exercise to, exercising to control my weight. And then the tapes start again in my head. So I'm hiding, and all I'm thinking about is my food, my body, my weight, what I ate today, what I didn't eat today, where everyone has to go to the this perfect restaurant so I can get this perfect meal without this and with that and blah, 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 blah. Again, making it so complicated. And I was sitting there one Saturday morning in March 2016, and someone was sharing about her transformation in and her new life that has come to light because of the work she's done through the steps. And at that moment, that instant, I knew I needed to stop this insanity, and I could not go back to this life again. So I wrote down on a piece of scratch paper, and I said, I need help. Can you please sponsor me? And I passed it to her. In that moment, I knew this was the right sponsor for me. I needed her to guide me through the steps. And I needed to know what she did so I could copy that and have a different life. So I passed her the note as soon as she stopped speaking and she said yes. And that brings me to my journey um, of the 12 steps, through the 12 steps um, that started at the beginning of or March last year, 2016. So I did everything that she asked, and I was willing to follow the direction she gave me. 
And then somewhere about two months into it, I started picking up again at night and lying about it. I would eat five peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, sugar-free jelly sandwiches, I told myself. I'm not binging. I'm, excuse me. I'm not eating back in the sugar, at least. At night, I would do this. And in the morning, I would tell my sponsor, oh, I had a little bit of nut butter last night, and leave it at that and commit my food and go on in my little world of lies. And so all of a sudden, the weight started coming on. And it came on quickly, as it does, because of the way that I eat, or the way that I ate, excuse me. So I gained about 20 pounds in two months. I totally took my will back again. And I wasn't even honest enough to tell my sponsor what was happening. I was back at step one. Then on June 14th, something happened to me. And I want to describe that situation to you all to this morning. Um, what happened was I was um, scheduled to sit in an all-day meeting with some um, colleagues that were from a different part of the country and that were visiting for the day. And it was the first time I was meeting this group of people, and it was a really important meeting for me because I would be working with this team for, for many years to come. And these first initial connections in person were very important. So I knew that I was going to be sitting in this conference room all day and that I really needed to start the day invigorated and strong to get through, you know, eight to ten intense hours. And so I decided to travel an hour from my house and go to the gym that's near my office and get a nice workout in before um, before the meeting. So I did my thing. I felt great. I went to the locker room. I pulled out the dress that I was going to wear for the day, and I had just worn this dress a week to two weeks before. I took my shower. I got all ready, and I slipped on the dress, and guess what? It wouldn't zip up. So here I am, an hour from my house, about 20 minutes before my meeting is set to start, and I don't have clothes that will fit me. And I have just worn this dress a week to two weeks before, and it will not zip. So what do I do? Like a good compulsive overeater, I try to force the zipper up. And so I get the zipper up, and then it busts. And so now I have a dress that is busted open, and I still need to be in a meeting, but now it's in about 15 minutes. So luckily I had... Um, some safety pins in my gym bag, and there was a woman in the in the locker room that I had never seen before and that I've never seen since, and I asked her to pin me up. And so she did. And she put those safety pins all up the back of my dress, and I put on my blazer, and I went to my meeting, and those safety pins popped throughout the day and were sticking me in the back. And in that moment, when this was happening in the locker room, I realized I do not have time to keep playing this game. I am completely powerless over food. I cannot stop, and I need to ask God for help. I am powerless. In that moment, 10 years after I visited, when, after I started attending OA meetings, I finally took step one. And that is what made it change for me. 
So all of a sudden, I became incredibly willing to finish my steps as outlined in the big book. And so I followed through with the steps. And after just six weeks from that day, I was living in 10, 11, and 12. And um, I am incredibly grateful for that moment, although it took me 10 years to get there. I'm incredibly grateful for every moment that led up to that moment in the locker room and for the awareness that there is a solution. It's been sitting in front of me, and now it's my time to go after that solution and get connected to my higher power. So I want to just talk a bit about how I did the steps and the simplicity um, there and also highlight a couple of things as we as we go along and, and work up to um, the, the chapter in the big book, Chapter 7. So the first thing I did was the unmanageability questionnaire. And this really helped me get honest and stop living in what I like to call la-la land. Um, the food really helped me live in la-la land. And every time anything uncomfortable came up, I was able to block it out by stuffing it down with food. And the unmanageability questionnaire helped me realize that when I honestly looked at my life, things were not as manageable as I had convinced myself they were. I read the doctor's opinion um, in in the big book, and I realized that I am a true compulsive overeater, that I have a serious obsession of the mind and an allergy of the body sugar and to those foods that I constantly binged on. I call them now my red light foods, and it's pretty clear to me what those are and what I need to stay away from. Then I read Bill's story, There's a Solution, more about alcoholism, re-agnostics, and I did a series of questions, and I read those chapters on my own, and I met with, I highlighted what spoke to me. I wrote down my questions, and after each chapter, I met with my sponsor to read our highlights and talk about any questions I had. Um, At this point, I was at step two. I realized that lack of power is my problem, and my solution is not actually the food, (laughs) as I had made it for so many years. It was to find a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity. I read how it works, into action, I did the um, step three questions and wrote a letter to God and did a reading of the third step prayer and talked about what it meant to me. And then I was at step four. And um, I think what was really incredible about doing step four in this way is that I finally was able to figure out what my part in all my resentments, all my fears, and all my harms were. And for a really long time, I blamed everyone else for these things. But I finally got to my part. And that was an incredible experience to take responsibility for things and realize that all of these quote-unquote problems in my life were really of my own making. I remember um, doing my fourth and fifth step with um, one of my sponsors from where I used to live, who is still someone I talk to every on a, multiple times a week, is a dear, dear friend, and I still consider her my sponsor. 
Um, I remember doing my fifth step with her, and um, that was the last time I'd done the steps before doing them in this way, and saying to her, well, I, I, I don't really understand. Really, my only character defects are that I'm dishonest, self-seeking, selfish, inconsiderate, except those five, the major five. And, and her response to me was, Erin, more will be revealed to you. And boy, was she right. Because this time, when I did the fourth step, I had 63 character defects that came up. And having an actual name to those character defects has been so incredibly powerful to me. And I'm going to tell you why, but I just want to go through the fifth step. And the sixth, and during sixth and seventh, I'll talk about those defects a bit. So the fifth step. So I do my fifth step, and I did that a week and a half after the locker room experience. And I turned over just my defects of character associated with each resentment, fear, and harm. And so this time, instead of telling my story of, of, you know, Mary Jo who harmed me in this way and I was so resentful at her for this and, and it affected all these things, this time what I did was I did a laser focus in on my part by sharing just my character defects associated with every single resentment, fear, or harm. So it put the focus just on my part, and there was no time given to explaining anyone else's part. It was so powerful to me to just hear what I had done. Um, I started seeing, like I said, that I was the reason my life was unmanageable. I finally took responsibility for this. I was the one that got the ball rolling, and I was able to say, this is how I did that. And I, in this moment, during my fifth step, I became very hopeful because I knew that my higher power could help me to remove these careful, char- character defects. And I finally knew what they were. So I could even do my part now. And um, then step six, six became willing to, um, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. I felt like now, I knew what they were, and oh yeah, I was ready to have them gone because just seeing those words on paper was incredible. I thought I was the sweetest, kindest person in the whole world, and turns out I am a pretty sweet, kind person, but I got a lot of other things going on, and now I know what they are. So um, that brought me to step seven, humbly asked him to remove my shortcomings. So I took this list of 63 defects of character, that I came up with in step four, and I transferred them and their opposite, the asset, to a chart, and I love charts. So now I had my full list of 63 things, and I knew what they were, and it felt so freeing to just have them on paper and look look at them. Um, I could ask God specifically to remove them by name, and they were no longer vague as they were in the past. So step seven for me um, looked like every morning for two weeks I prayed on this list line by line. And I said, for example, God, please stop me from being egotistical and teach me to be humble. And I didn't realize how egotistical I was until I did my work. And that was a big one for me. And it's often one that I say multiple times a day. And then throughout the day, now because I was so aware of what my character defects were, 
I was also aware when they were coming up. So I could stop in that moment, say my prayer, and do do my part, which to me is acting the opposite of that character defect. So when I'm starting to be egotistical and I'm starting to talk down to myself or think someone is quote-unquote mad at me and make it all about me, I can in that moment say, oh, God, stop me from being egotistical, teach me to be humble, and then I can immediately start acting in that way. To me, that's my, my part of the footwork. So then I was at step eight, and I um, had made that list of people I had harmed, and I was definitely willing to make amends to them. I put them on index cards. I met with my sponsor, and I talked about um, those. I categorized the the, the, um, the um, list of people that I needed to make amends to and um, all the different reasons I needed to make amends. And I put them into five piles, easy to make, can't make because people are dead or no idea where they are, Um, the apologies that I refuse to make, the ones that are really challenging but that I definitely will make, and those that um, if I had made them would cause harm. So I had five five piles. I met with my sponsor and we went through my piles and we made an action plan for my apologies. And then in step nine, I made my direct amends and those were also incredibly powerful and um, the biggest one to me at the end the person said to me you know what I really need to apologize to you for this X Y and Z and and he named many things and I did not expect that (laughs) at all and it was beautiful and wonderful to hear it but it wasn't the point the point was I needed to clean up my side of the street and um, I also then moved into step 10, and um, that's continued to take personal inventory and were wrong, com- promptly admitted it. And what what has been very interesting for me in step 10 is um, previous to this point, to, to 2016, the ten, over the 10 years that I was in program before, I thought that step 10 was a nightly review. And, um, you know, I that's all I knew, so that's what I was doing. And, you know, it kind of worked. And it, But as I said, I had periods of abstinence, but I couldn't stay stopped, and I couldn't stay connected to my higher power. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that as I went throughout my day, things came up, life happens, I had resentments, I had fears, I did harms, and by the time I got to the end of the day and got my little sheet out to do my review, I forgot like 95% of the things that went on because it was night, I was tired, and those were all a distant memory for me. And so a big, big difference in my recovery um, today is that the moment when I'm feeling angry, worried, afraid, or I'm about to harm someone, I stop, I do step four, step six, step seven, step eight, step nine. And then I turn over, or for many for many months, I turned over my um, defects of character, just my defects of character to my sponsor. What's really interesting, and I want to talk about this a little bit, um, is in the beginning, it was really important for me 
to text those defects of character and only the defects of character to my sponsor because for for multiple reasons number one i didn't need to get into the story right because it's no longer about the story it's about my part of the story and my character defects so i needed to turn over those defects of character and only those defects of character and not live relive excuse me for example the resentment again because it's not important anymore what's important is finding my part and moving past it and doing better and connecting to god so i would text over those those character defects or i would call her and say what my character defects of my defects of character were and then she asked that I no longer come to her, that I go straight to God. And for me, that's part of my daily step 11s. I go to God with everything. I no longer text in my character defects. I go to God. I talk it through with him. I no longer rely on a human being to help me with my character defects. I rely on God. And that is a huge part of my life and my recovery today. It was so interesting to me to go through this transformation, really relying on a person, my sponsor, to bring me through the steps and guide me through the steps. And then slowly but surely, not depend on that person for the guidance anymore, but depend on my connection to my higher power and my recovery with him and his guidance in my life and not a human being and we'll see when we start talking about chapter seven there's places within the chapter that talk about that how important it is to rely on your higher power and not on a human being so that's a huge part of my step 11 and that's not to say that once in a while something big comes up and i need to talk to my sponsor about it and i need help finding my part and so I will make that call. Maybe not not so often anymore. Maybe like once every month or two, I have something that I can't figure out myself. And I get that help from a person. And that person is my sponsor typically. Or my little network of sponsors. They don't really know they're, that I consider them sponsors, but I do. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure they'd love it if I told them. But, um, so that's a huge part of my step 11. And... Um, so step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve con- our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So what does my step 11 look like? I consider my entire day a step 11. All day I am connecting to my higher power. For me, in the morning, it starts with getting down on my knees when I wake up and saying my prayers. And I typically will say the third step and the seventh step prayer. Those are very powerful for me. And then just talk to God about my day and ask him to guide me and help me be his agent and be loving and kind to everyone around me and to find any way to be of service to him or to my fellows. My goal every day is to be loving and kind and be of service and be God's agent. And I ask for God's help every morning in my prayers and throughout my day. After after my prayers, um, I typically will write down my 
my gratitudes, my action plan, and my food for the day. Um, in the beginning, it was very important for me to commit that food to a human being. And today, that is not important to me because, or it's not a vital part of my day because my experience is that food is neutral. It no longer calls to me. It no longer speaks to me. I do not care about food. I am fueling my body. This is a miracle to me. I am fueling my body. I enjoy what I eat, but I don't care about food anymore. When the sun used to rise and set with food, period, for me, and today I do not care about food. I write it, my plan down and I commit it to God. That's it. That's that's the extent of, of food in my life and in my day now. Um, and then I talk to my sponsees. And I start very early because um, I have a, you know, a pretty long commute to work and um, I have small children that I need to really be present for by um, the latest 6.30. So I start early with my sponsees. And it's just such a beautiful way to start the day from being on my knees to committing my food to God to working with my sponsees early in the morning. And um, so that's kind of in a nutshell of, of how my morning starts and how it really starts in step 11. Throughout the day, my step, step 11 is constant prayer with God. Something comes up, I, I start talking to God about it. Something at work is, is stressing me out, I take it to God. I pray to know what my footwork is. I pray to do his will, and I go get it. And this is coming. I used to be the biggest procrastinator in the world. So the fact that I can face issues and challenges head on is a complete miracle. It is not of my own doing. It definitely is my God. And one thing I want to share about step um, 11 that um, someone very near and dear to me shared is that when I'm feeling particularly um, worried, you know, I'm doing my step tens in my head, getting to my character defects, and I do a little meditation, and it can take, you know, 10 seconds, but I close my eyes, and I imagine God's hand, God standing behind me with his hands on my shoulders. And I think, and I try to feel the weight on my shoulders, just pressing down on my shoulders. And it's, an instant calming reminder that God is there. He is supporting me. He has my back. And I can do what I need to do next with his help. So I I, I do those, that throughout the day um, in addition to my step 10s. So that's, you know, I also read um, On Awakening in the big book. And um, I really love that, that thought of divorcing my thinking from self self-pity, self-centeredness, and dishonesty every day. Um, and then that brings me to step 12. So had, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and practice these principles in all of our affairs. So that's step seven in our big book, Working with Others. And I want to walk through that chapter um, with everyone and I just think it's such a powerful chapter it's funny as I was 
preparing for our little chat this morning, I picked up some stickies at the drugstore to kind of mark all the different things I wanted to go through. And I can't even tell you how many stickies I have in my big book right here. I must have about 30 stickies. All I know is that I started on orange, then I went to pink. No, then I went to purple, and then I, there's even some pinks in here because I use so many of each color. <laughs> so, um, But I want to before we move into the chapter, kind of tell you a little bit uh, more about what my life is like now. And I've made a list of things. So um, some I may have already mentioned, but I, I want to mention them again. So life in recovery as a recovered compulsive overeater. Food is a non-issue. I am in a place of neutrality. I have to tell you... Um, a couple months ago, I was getting together with some girlfriends for lunch. And one of them called me, very concerned, like, oh, Erin, we're thinking about going to this restaurant. Is that okay with you? Is that going to fit into your food plan? And that amazed me for many, many reasons. Number one, I had my friends well-trained to know to be worried about my food too because guess what? Even in... Oh, when I was in OA, for those 10 years prior to doing the steps as outlined in the big book, I made everyone nuts about food. So I had them trained, and I couldn't believe it. Um, so the other really amazing thing was what I said back to her, and that was, oh, it's not a big deal. I don't care where we go. I'll get what I need wherever. Oh, I hear some birds on the line. Leah, is that you trying to jump in? Not my birds. We'll take care of it. Okay. <laughs> okay. That was a nice pause, though. Um, so I look at my life as a complete miracle, just knowing where I've come from and knowing that today I'm living in a healthy body that's strong, mentally, physically, and connected to a power greater than myself. I'm honest. I no longer have to tell these little white lies as I go through every minute of my day. My character defects are diminishing. I'm very aware when those character defects come up, and I can act the opposite immediately. I come from a place of being loving and kind. I no longer look at every situation as... What can I personally get out of this? I look at it as, what can I bring to this? My relationships are getting incredibly, it, it, so much better, it's incredible. Um, and those that were not healthy for me have literally dropped away. People that were in my life that were not, as I look at it, meant, quote-unquote, to be there, literally disappeared. I didn't do anything. They just disappeared. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um, I don't get as tired as often, which is really good because I have small children, a big job, a very long commute, and I don't have a lot of time to be tired. So <laughs> I don't get worn out. And I truly believe it's because I'm not fighting God's direction anymore. I'm just going with the flow. Um, I feel like I belong now and I don't have to hide from people anymore and I have dear, dear friends 
in this fellowship that I feel so incredibly blessed to know. People I most likely would have never met that I can get on the phone with and be honest and cut through all the BS of, how are you? Oh, everything's great. I can say when everything's not great today. Um, I'm constantly praying. I trust God. I do... I feel connected to God all the time. And I know he has me. And I don't have to worry anymore. I just have to look for his will and do it. It's so simple. I don't binge today. Food doesn't live uh, run my life. I'm peaceful. I feel calm most of the time. And when I don't, I know what to do. I connect to God. I do my 10 steps. I feel like I'm living a completely different life. But it's the same life, right? It's the same situations. It's the same people. It's just a different me. And I just react completely differently. I face issues head on with God's help. And another big change in my life is that I can travel without all the worry and anxiety that I used to have. I have been in abstinence to the far corners of the earth and gotten exactly what I needed in countries where I should not, in theory, be able to find things to eat because the culture is so incredibly different. I have spent a week in complete, being completely taken care of in every way, including getting access to what food I needed. I think that's all my notes um, for for what life is like now, but I'm, I'm glad to talk about that more during the um, connections. Uh, sorry, during the questions. And I think really for me the take home that I'd like to convey is that I live a life free of the obsession of food. And because of that, and because of that connection to God, I live a beautiful, full life. It's no longer about the food. It's about being of service to others and to doing God's will. And that is completely different than I lived the first 30-something years of my life. So, now I want to just walk through... Um, chapter 7, so if everybody has their big books, that's awesome, but I'll also read some passages. Um, so I'm just looking at the time, so it's 9.15, that means four. okay, so we have about, I think about 15 minutes left, which is great. Um, I want to start on page 89 and just read the first two paragraphs, because I think they're extremely powerful. Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works with when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. Boy, was I ill. Life will take on new meaning to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. 
We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. And I just think this is so true to me, for me. Um, how I put this, these two paragraphs into practice is when I go to meetings and there's a newcomer, I take their number and I call them and I welcome them and just have a conversation and let them know that I'm there if they ever need anything. I remember being a newcomer and just being so confused and not even understanding what abstinence was. And so I want to make sure that I'm available to the new newcomers. Um, it also looks like working with sponsees and taking those sponsees through the big book and and guiding them through and sharing what I did for my step work and sharing that with them. And then setting them free when they're living in 10, 11, and 12. And always being for them for those frequent um, phone calls, but no longer having a standing time so that I can take on newcomers and do it again. Um, at the bottom of 89, uh, because of your own drinking experience, you can be unique, uniquely useful to other alcoholics. So cooperate, never criticize. To be helpful is our only aim. And I keep that in mind, that I'm here to be helpful. I'm not here to criticize. I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to show, to talk about what I've done. Um, if we go to the bottom of 93... Um, there's just this sentence in here that I love. It says, to be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. And I believe that working with others is um, a beautiful way to self do self-sacrifice and um, perform unselfish constructive action. Oh, and I missed one. At the top of 93, that last sentence of the first paragraph, or the last two sentences, um, he does not have to agree with your conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. I just think that's such an important part of working with others is not forcing my view of my higher power on others, knowing that it's totally up to them. Whatever they consider to be their higher power is fine, and I, I don't have to, to define that for them. Um, on 94, so throughout this chapter, I think there's really practical instruction on how to work with, especially with a newcomer, but how to work with a sponsee. And so 94, this first full paragraph, I think is a beautiful um, explanation of this. And um, what I think is really interesting and is true for me is yeah, very often my sponsees will say, oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Erin. Thank you for your time. I'm like, actually, thank you, because it's such a gift to be able to work with you. And what an honor that you trust me with something that you, too, have hidden your whole life. So... Um, in this middle or top of 94, actually he may be helping you more than you are helping him. Make it plain that he is under no obligation to you, that you only you hope only that he will try to help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. Suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. 
and um, I think that's just super important to me. Um, so just some more good practical advice on 95, the first paragraph towards the bottom. Never talk down to an alcoholic from any moral or spiritual hilltop. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools for his inspection. Show him how they have worked for you, with you. Offer him friendship and fellowship. Tell him if he wants to get well, you will do anything to help. Then at the bottom of 95, I think there's two powerful sentences. Um, he should not be pushed or prodded by you, his wife, or friend, his friends. If he is to find God, the desire must come from within. I think that's such an important point. And towards the end of this discussion, I'm going to talk a, a little bit about some guidance that I found in the big book in this chapter about those who who um, I've had to let, let go um, as sponsees. Um, and then at the very bottom of 95, we have no monopoly on God. We merely have an approach that worked with us. So that's my goal is just to share that, um, that, that um, what worked for me. Mm. Okay. Top of 97, helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the Good Samaritan every day if need be. And then further down on 97, your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say she feels she is neglected. So it's interesting because I not only do I look at and try to do service through my 12-step work, but I also look throughout my day at other ways of being a service and other ways of being a good Samaritan. Um, this, this notion of having a kindly act once in a while not being enough is to me very true. And so as I'm driving to work and someone's trying to merge on or they have their blinker on, I slow down. I let them in. I look for every opportunity to be of service. And sometimes my phone jangles a lot. And sometimes my husband says, uh, hello, babe. And I, I think it's important to realize that I need to carve out time for my family as well. And it talks about that in this chapter, and I and I do believe that it's a true balance. Um, and on 98, uh, in the middle of the page, it is not a matter of giving that is in question, but when and how to give. This often makes the difference between failure and success. The minute we put put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to reply, rely upon our assistance rather upon God. Simply um, jumping down to the bottom of the page. We simply do not stop drinking so, as lo so long as we place dependence on other people ahead of dependence on God. And I think I alluded to that a bit when I was talking about my morning meditation and writing down my... Um, food and, and not committing it to a person, but committing it to God and bringing my 10 steps to God. Um, and then in the, in, towards the bottom of 98, burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trust in God and clean house. I just love how simple it is. It just is so simple today. 
and um, trust in God and clean house, period. And at the bottom of 99, um, remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon people. It is dependent on dependent on his relationship with God. And then also on, on 100, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. That is so true for my life. Things are happening that I never even imagined, and they're so beautiful. Um, Follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. Um, Then we go on to talk about if we are spiritually fit, that we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. Um, this is at the bottom of 100. People have said we must go where we must not go where liquor is served. We must not have it in our homes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We mustn't think or be reminded about alcohol at all. Our experience shows us that is not necessarily so. So for me, um, before I did the steps as outlined in the big book, that was really true for me. I couldn't have sugar in my house. I couldn't have those foods that I binged on, like cheese in the house. Um, And now I realize, and that was even when I was was in program and I was quote-unquote abstinent, but now I realize it was because I wasn't spiritually fit. And today, I have all those things in my house, and I'm around them, and I go to parties every week where those things are all around me, and I don't care. They don't call to me. I'm there, I do my service, I help clean up. Yesterday I was at a party. There was an incredible amount of food and an incredible amount of desserts. I was helping doing the dishes. I wasn't sitting at the table stuffing my face. I was playing with the kids. It didn't matter anymore. It's a miracle, and I know it's not me. I know it's my higher power, because this is not something I'm capable of. Um, So in the middle, at the very end of 101, So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking if we have a legitimate reason for being there. And then on 102, um, at a proper time and place, explain to all your friends why alcohol does not agree with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. When you are drinking, you are withdrawing from life little by little. And that definitely was my experience. Now you are getting back into the social life of this world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. Your job now is to be at the place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand. Keep on the firing line of life with these motives and God will keep you unharmed. What a beautiful passage and um, as I was reading it something popped in my mind to share and now it just popped out so that's okay Um, but it's very true for me that now I'm starting to share more with people that I was that I am in OA for so many years I hid it because I was still in that place of shame and I'm no longer there so I talk pretty freely about it today and 
my children who are two under six randomly tell people, mommy can't eat that. She's allergic to sugar. And so <laughs> the other day we were shopping and my six-year-old told the woman in line that we, mommy, we're not going to, mommy doesn't want to buy that. She's allergic to sugar and I'm allergic to dairy. And so, it's just hysterical to me. Um, and then before we end, um, I want to read the, the last paragraph on 103, but I also want to just share a little bit because um, this was something that I struggled with um, because I am one of my major defects of character is people-pleasing and how to react when, when it's just not working with a sponsee. And there are there's some specific guidance in um, this chapter that I just kind of want to highlight to everyone. Uh, at the top of 90, if he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time to persuade him. You may spoil a later opportunity. This advice is given for his family also. They should be patient, realizing they are dealing with a sick man. At the bottom of 90, if he does not want to see you, never force yourself on him. Um, at the middle of um, 94, you should not be offended if he wants to call it off, for he has helped you more than you have helped him. The middle of 95, if he is not interested in your solution, if he expects you to act only as a banker for his financial difficulties or a nurse for a sprees, you may have to drop him until he changes his mind. This, may, this he may do after he gets hurt some more. So sometimes... Um, you know, my sponsor has guided me to this point of saying, maybe this person just has some more research and development to do. And I did. It took me 10 years being in the rooms, going in and out, doing my research and development before I was willing to do the steps in this simple way. And then I think for me, the most powerful paragraph about if it's not really just working with something is at the top of 96. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. You will find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on, on, on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. Our, one of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. And then I want to close with the bottom of page 103. After all, our problems were of our own making. Bottles were only a symbol. Bes besides, we have stopped fighting anyone, anybody or anything. We have to. And I have written under there, even ourselves. So I even stopped fighting myself. And I am incredibly grateful to my higher power to leading me through those 10 years and to this point of recovery and being in a place where I can work with others and, and really witness their transformation and be part of the joy that is doing God's will. So thank you for the opportunity to qualify and um, that's it, Leah, 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 sorry. <laughs>
Thank you so much, Erin, for sharing your remarkable and inspiring transformation with all of us on the line this morning. Thank you for your generous spirit. Erin's contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. And we will now transition to question-answer segment. You can pose a question to Erin by pressing star 1 to unmute and identify yourself, please. Thank you. That's Okay. <laughs> Let's try that again. Gen Z from Cincinnati. Gen Z. Esther F. Esther F. Suji. Suji. I'm sorry, everyone's coming in at the same time. I'm not catching it. Okay, let's start with Gen Z and I'll work the rest out. Go ahead, Jen. Thank you. Um, Gen Z, compulsive um, overeater. Thank you, Erin, so much for your uh, your talk today. Um, as someone who has for 30 years been uh, blaming other people for her problems, I know that I have character defects, but they don't come easily to me identifying them. And when you told me you had 60 character defects, I think um, I would be hard-pressed to... Um, identify those character defects within myself. So um, was there a list that you referred to? I know they have um, on the fourth step, uh, inconsiderate and fear and self-seeking and selfish, but I know I have many more than that. And so I wonder if there was a list that you referred to um, to help identify those other character defects that you mentioned. Sure. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for your question. It's a great question, and uh sounds like we have a lot in common. So, um, yes, there is a list. So um, I was sponsored, um, my sponsor was sponsored by Barbara A., and Barbara A. from New Jersey has this um, guidance document called How I Sponsor, and within that um, packet is a list of a lot more than 60. I'm looking at it now. It's probably like over 120 defects of character. Um, and so there's definitely a list. And I talked to Barbara to be sure that it was okay that I share um, her contact information in case people want that. And she said that was fine. So I'll give you her email address. Um, it's antbab54 at yahoo.com. That's ant, like A-U-N-T, Babs, B-A-B-S, and then the number 54 at yahoo.com. And Jen, feel free to call me. I'd love to talk talk through how I use the list. And um, But there's definitely a list, and it was so, um, it was really a pivotal point in my, pro, my recovery, so. Thank you so much, Erin. I will do that. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank sure. you. Z. On the list currently for questions, I have Esther F., Sue G., Alexis H., Kathy G., and Knessa K. So let's go to Esther F. Your turn. 
Hi, Leah. Thank you. And Erin, thank you, too. Um, this is Esther F., a Recover Compulsive Overeater. Um, my question is that you said that you take your 10 steps to God. And my question is, um, when you do that, do you still talk to another person, or are you just skipping that person and going straight to God with your 10 steps? No, Hi, Esther. Yeah, thanks for the Hi. question. Sure. I go Now I go straight to God. Um, in the beginning, I did, uh, like I said, use my sponsor, so I was relying on a human to kind of help me through it and to to turn over those character defects, um, but now I go only to God. Thank you. Okay. Thank, you. Thank you, Esther F. Sue G., your turn. My question, hi, this is Suji from Michigan. Um, loved your talk. Um, I'm a black and white person pretty much. Um, and when they tell me to follow the big book exactly as written, it tells me to then turn to someone else and give away my resentment or my my fear. And lately I have been doing more going to God and asking him to remove it. And I have felt guilty about it. Did you have any problem transitioning over to not following the big book? Hi, Suji. Um, let's see, I can I, I relate to you about being black and white, definitely. I was definitely a black and white person. Um, I didn't have any problem or any guilt going directly to God because to me, the, what I understand and what I was taught was that the purpose of this work is to get connected to my higher power and rely on him and not to be relying on humans, on other humans. Um, so I didn't have any guilt whatsoever. It, to me, I look at it as, quote, unquote, doing what I'm supposed to. <laughs> I don't know. For me, it's like really important. I growing up, I always wanted to be a bit, a good girl, so that played out a lot in my steps. Um, but to me, it it's what I'm supposed to be doing, and that's just my definition. So that's what what's worked for me. But I haven't felt any guilt because um, to me, it's all about getting connected to God. So it's just another part of that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Sue G. Alexis H., please. Hi, this is Alexis H., compulsive eater and anorexic in Oregon. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Erin, uh, thank you for being this morning. I could just feel like the positive kind of um, inspiration and connection with your higher power, so thank you. Um, I wanted to ask a question because uh, in recovery, there was, like, early on, um, I kind of experienced a lot of just paralysis about taking action because it, I felt like my connection to my higher power wasn't clear enough to know if I was taking, like, a faith-based action or kind of like a self-will, fear-based action. And um, in recovery, I feel like I've gotten better about, you know, calming myself when I'm, you know, doubtful or agitated but sometimes I still make mistakes and I feel like I take action based on self-will 
and I just want to know your experience with, um, like, forgiving yourself or how you kind of continue to move forward even when you make mistakes or learning lessons. Okay. Thanks, Alexis, for that question. And shout out to Oregon. I was born in Oregon, so. (laughs) Um, Let's see. see. Just a couple of things came up for me when you were asking the question. So first is um, I know in my heart that I'm doing God's will when I have that feeling of like, it's all I can describe it as is like, oh, it's like I'm not fighting anything and there's, I'm, it's all like love and kindness that I'm feeling, even in, in difficult situations. Now, when I, I am not perfect at all and very often I find that um, I, I'll step and do something that wasn't wasn't God's will and I know it as soon as I do it, because I feel it, like it just doesn't feel good. If I feel yucky almost. I don't know if that rings for you. but um, And I look at those situations as an opportunity to learn and be drawn closer to God. So um, I talk to God about it. I ask for his forgiveness, and I immediately forgive myself and know that that was just another opportunity to be closer to him. And that next time I'm in that situation, hopefully I won't act the same way. So I can relate. It it does come up for me. And I really look at it just as a a learning opportunity to draw me closer. Because I believe that I would have been doing God's will um, if it wasn't an opportunity to get close. I don't know how to explain it, but it's I look at every situation, even the bad situations, as something that draws me in closer to him. And that's another example of them. So I hope I answered your question. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much, Alexis H. Now we go to Kathy G. Hi, this is Kathy G. from Illinois. Can you hear me all right? Yes, very well. Yes. Okay, thank you so much. And Aaron... Pardon me. I you just filled me with such joy and hope today by sharing what you did. I could relate to everything you said. Um except I have not been negotiating with my illness for ten years, but for twenty six years. Mm-hmm. And I was in a way in 1990 is when I went, when I was on the bathroom floor, when I thought I was going to die from bulimia and I thought Mm -hmm. I was going to have a heart attack. And so I remember walking down the street in Chicago and I felt like I was in this black cloud and I, and I just begged God to help me. And I ended up at an OA meeting and I was in OA for somewhere between 10 and 15 years. And God set me free from my bulimia, thank God. Um, so I've been free from that for 20, just over 26 years now. Mm-hmm. And that's a complete miracle because I didn't think I could go five minutes. But the one mm-hmm. thing I haven't, but I stopped going to the program because there was no recovery. And about three weeks ago, somebody told me about the phone meetings. And I've, I've just been trying different ones and talking to people and it was when I landed on a vision for you that I really started seeing recovery and believing that I could actually get better because after all this time, I thought 
I really don't know if I can get better. And after listening to you today, I really think I can. And that is a complete miracle to me. And I just, I was so anxious to get on. It took me a lot of boldness. My heart is beating so fast um, just to get on the line. Um, But I just wanted you to know that this morning I came out for my quiet time and laid in my hammock and I just asked God a question. And I said, Lord, why haven't certain words um, that you've spoken over my life come to pass? And I just listened and I started writing. And the last sentence that came to me, I'm going to read to you. But do Kathy you remember? Kathy yes? Kathy you have a question uh, so we can best utilize our time, although it's very interesting. Can, might you have a question for Aaron? Uh, yes, I'll put it in a question form because I just have one sentence left. And I'll just say, do you remember the moment on the line when the bird came in and started singing? Yes. (laughs) All right. Here's the last line that God spoke to me this morning when I was writing. Do you hear that bird singing? Listen for my songs over you today. I love you. Oh, that is so beautiful. Yeah, so I just want to thank you, and I'm going to be doing everything in my power to contact you, but thank you, and God bless you. I look forward to talking with you. I love the word negotiating. That is such a good word to describe it. So thank you for sharing. Thanks, Kathy G. And Knessa Kay, your question, please. Good morning. Can I be heard? Yes. Thank you. Great, thank you. Thank you, Erin. Thank you, Leah. Um, Kenneth Kay from Cincinnati, Ohio, recovering, um, eight days abstinent, and so grateful for it. Definitely feels um, life-changing. Erin, um, can you talk a little bit, something really stood out to me when you talked about your 63 character defects. And people don't talk about this very much on the line. That you know, We tend to focus on you know, self-centered, I mean, which is obviously one of them, but we focus on so much the fourth step inventory and what comes out, but not into the checklist of flaws and assets. Can you just speak to that a bit? Sure, definitely. Um, So for me, like I said, the the other four or five times I've done the steps, I only came away with those five um, defects of character. And this time, um, I went through a list of others. So it does say somewhere in the big book and and others, um, and I don't have that exact text in front of me. But So this list of others for me was two pages of uh, defects and assets. And for every line that I had within my inventory, I went through that list again and identified which ones um, which specific behaviors or defects were associated. And so it was very powerful for me to just see it all in black and white and to take that time. And I, I didn't do it all in one sitting because it's a pretty big pill to swallow in one sitting. So I did it over maybe three different sessions and taking each line and saying what it what defect came up here. And, and that's how I did it. And it's... um. It's been really powerful just to have words because it's easy now for me to 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 spot it when I'm doing it. So if I'm being arrogant or I just took out my list or if I'm being a coward or being egotistical or faithless, I can see it right away now because I know that it's on my list. So 
That's perfect. Thank you, Erin. Okay. Thank you, Knessa Kay. Kimberly L., are you available to pose your question now? Kimberly L., star one to unmute. Hi, this is Kim L. Can I be heard? Yes, go ahead. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you so much for your share, Erin. Um, you had mentioned um, after the your incident at the gym with your dress and when you realized your powerlessness again, um, you had mentioned that you had answered some questions when you started really working the steps. I just wanted to know um, where you got those questions, and I would love to have access to those. Thank you. Sure. Thank, yeah, sure. Thank you for the question. I I think what I mentioned was the unmanageability questionnaire, and um, that was provided to me by my sponsor. And it's in that guide, the How I Sponsor Guide by by Barbara A. Um, that I that I shared about before. So it's all it's in there. And there's a lot. I you know there's several people using this guide now, at least that I am in contact with to sponsor. So been pretty it's been very helpful obviously thank you (laughs) thank you who else has a question this morning for Erin star one to unmute madam Cheryl A Cheryl A hi this is Shelly yes this is Gladys F. Tina R. Tina R. Tina, H-E-E-N-A. Gotcha, Tina. Thank you. Shelly T. And Shelly T. Thank you. Okay, Madam. Thank you for the clarification. Madam, you're up. Can you hear me, Leah? I do. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Erin. You had a wonderful presentation. I really enjoyed hearing you share how you experience strength and hope and how you work the 12 steps. Um, a question I have for you is, like, I know that you said your sponsor asked you to rely on your higher power now not to talk to her, but, like, I have what I call my God squad, and I don't really believe in the contemporary God like a, a, that everybody, like, Christians believe in, so I have a hard time going to it. But do you have, like, a God squad? Do you ever talk to your sponsor to do 10 steps anymore? Or do you, I, I don't understand why you, if you do it all just with God because it doesn't always make sense to me to hear that. Can you explain that a little bit more for me? Sure. Hey, Matt, I love this concept of a God squad. <laughs> That's such a cute name. I love it. Um, yes, I do talk. When something big is coming up that I can't work through, um, that I'm having trouble, like, finding my part, or maybe I've put it down on paper and, and I'm and I it's not getting any better, then I, then I definitely go to my sponsor. And I also do have, like you say, a God squad of people that I would – reach out to and that I know have done this work and that I trust um, to talk these things through with. That is less common for me now. I don't have to do that as often, but it, it is definitely something that I that I rely on because I do believe that um, for me, and I, I've seen it, I've witnessed it in my life, that God does speak to me through other people. So... Um, yeah, so short answer is yes, I talk to other people. A little bit longer answer is I do talk to other people, but it, I don't need to do that as often, I'm finding. That's my experience. Thank you, Erin. Sure. Thank you. C. 
Sarah S., you're next. Yes, hi. Thank you, Sue, so much. My question is, when do you think um, it's okay to stop giving over the food, like, to the sponsor? Like, when do you recommend that it's, you know, that the person's strong sure. enough alone? Okay, Sarah, I'm 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 having a little trouble hearing you. I don't think I heard the question. Can you just say it a little louder, please? So you, you I think you mentioned that you stopped giving over your food, like to your sponsor. You just trust you yeah. on yourself. I'm I was wondering if you recommend that at some point, and when and when do you recommend that? That's a great question. So I really think that it's a. Um, that's something that you that I need to work out with each sponsee, and it I don't it hasn't for me it hasn't been at the exact same moment for anybody yet. It's different times for each person. I'm trying to think for me when I stopped committing it. Um, it was definitely after I was doing my very active in in step eleven. Um, but I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact moment, but I know that I worked closely with my sponsor on determining when it would be, and then with each of my sponsees, um, it's something that we came to an agreement with for. So, yeah, talk to your sponsor and, and your higher power. God will guide us. So, Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah S. Cheryl A., your turn. Cheryl A, star one to unmute. All right, perhaps she had. Can you hear me now? Oh, there she is. Cheryl, go ahead. I was talking. I was talking and talking. Um, (laughs) Hi, this is this is Cheryl A, recovered compulsive overeater from Boston. Uh, thanks so much, Erin. Um, it was just super to hear you and so many so many great insights from your experience in recovery. Um, curious, you talked about that black and whiteness, and so many of us experience that um, and, and work with that in, in our recoveries and it expresses itself in our disease recoveries. When you, as someone with small children, when you've had a rough night with them or... Um, they're up early, earlier than expected, and it just gets right into your 11-step morning quiet time. What? Yeah. How do you handle that? What a great question. You must have small children. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. Um, okay, so what I do is um, it actually, was it yesterday or Friday? I think it was yesterday. Okay, so two things. During the weekdays, I get up no later than 5.30, and usually my the earliest my kids will get up is 6, and 6 is like a pretty common time for them, so I make sure that I have that 30 minutes carved out. So I had to like look at their patterns and back it up 30 minutes to make sure I got my own time. That's a little different on the weekend because I do like to sleep still, even though I'm a mom. Um, and so what I do is I... Um, do the best I can, and often the best I can looks like 
giving hugs to, to my kids and saying, okay, mommy needs to go to the bathroom now, going to the bathroom, getting on my knees in the bathroom, surrendering my day, my life to my higher power, and doing a quicker um, morning reflection than I would normally do. And then once they get settled, they've had their breakfast, They on the weekends they love to watch a cartoon, so I'll let them get settled and then I'll go to the room, into the room next to them and get down on my knees and do my full prayer. And so I look at those mornings as this is God's will for my day. And I just do the best that I can. So thanks, thanks. so much. Thanks, Cheryl. Sure. Gladys F., your turn. Yes, this Gladys F., can you hear me? Yes, Gladys. Yes, uh, yes uh, I, was, I came on a little late, but I heard the speaker uh, say talk a lot about um, the concept of turning to God, and that was interesting to me because of uh, something that was revealed to me the other day, and what it was is that I noticed that a lot of times uh, when I get abstinence and life start to get overwhelming, you know, I will make calls to members to share with them about them. And it's like I can talk a good God talk, but I don't really know how to, like, turn to God in time of uh, stress. And it's starting to feel like when I reach out, like I'm having, like, a counseling. I'm looking for, like, a counseling session. It's starting to feel like a counseling session or or venting session. And I just was wondering, do you have any, like, uh, suggestion of what maybe I can do to get out of that rut or what am I doing, you know, what am I not doing, uh, you know, to really, like, uh, turn to a higher power and learn how to uh, deal with life on lifetime instead of that just that moment of relief, like, like a counseling session. Okay. Yeah. That's it. That's Hi, Gladys. Okay, awesome. Hi, Gladys. Um, thank you for your question. I'm just flipping through the big book here. Um, okay, found it. Okay. Um, so what works for me is that it's just like a, instead of picking up that phone, I go to a, a place where it's quiet or not, and I, I like to be in a quiet place, but that's not often possible in my life. So I just, in my head, start talking to God about what's going on and pray for him to help me figure out what my part is in in the situation. And so for me, that takes the focus off of, like, venting and getting to what my part is and what footwork I can do to help the situation. And another really helpful thing for me is on page 417 of the big book, um, second paragraph, and acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing in God's world happens. Oh, nothing, absolute nothing happens in God's world by mistake. And so I think 
I think of that acceptance um, passage a lot, and um, that's what I started with. What my my talk with God looks like. So. Well, thank you. And what's your name again? My name is Erin. Oh, thank you so much, Erin. Thanks, sure. Gladys. Nice to meet you, guys. Hina R. Your turn. Star one to unmute Hina R. Hello? We hear you. I'm sorry. Did you just call for Hina? Yes. Please speak up if you could, Hina. um, Thank you for your talk today. I'm afraid that I was in and out of it a little bit, and so you may have answered this question. But my question is, in going through the steps again, how much of your ninth step amends did you repeat and your fourth step resentments did you repeat from previous times versus doing it sort of a new one? Could you hear okay, the question? Okay, thanks. Yes, I got you, Hina. Thank you very much. That's a great question. Um, yes, I actually talked specifically quite a bit with my sponsor about that because I had done the steps so many times. I wasn't sure if I should go back to the beginning of time. And the guidance that I was given was that um, anything that is still on your mind and is has not already been cleaned up should be on the list. So I remember the first time I did my um, my fourth step, I had a resentment towards my um, sixth grade science teacher. That was pretty much gone, so I didn't put it back on the list again. Um, but if there was anything from my childhood that was lingering or had not um, disappeared, I put it on again. So that was my that was what I was instructed to do, and it was really helpful because um, a lot of things I had cleaned up, and um, there were some big ones still hanging around that needed some extra special attention. So it was a wonderful opportunity to address those again. Thank you, Hina R. And our final question for this morning comes from Shelly P. Your turn, star one to unmute. Hi, Erin, this is Shelly. Hi, Shelly. Question. uh, I'm glad that there's so much information available, but I'm a little overwhelmed, like you were mentioning as a newcomer. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's OA Big Book Study Guide. Um, there's some other stuff, you know, and I've ordered all of it. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I'm wondering, how do you know which group? of um is right for you currently i've been involved in for about three weeks is all um started this and i've been involved with i think they're california i'm not sure but i also i love this group and i'm in iowa um my other group my other sponsor tells me not to listen to both groups phone calls and recordings i'm not sure why but how do you know what's what's right for you and which um which sponsor how do you find a sponsor that 
you know, can do what your sponsor did for you. Mhm. Okay, excellent question. I can understand the the overwhelmingness of all the information and there are a lot of different groups um so and obviously it took me a long time to find this group that I that you know, it this practice and this way of doing the steps. So, um I was saying a little prayer while you were talking to see what what God hadn't wanted me to say to you and basically the message I got was follow your gut so if you are working with somebody and it just isn't really feeling like it's the right um, right fit then keep looking for another sponsor and by looking I mean um, in face-to-face meeting meetings who's sharing about the solution meaning the steps and and the, their new life and who has that and is not focused on the problem and and the mental obsession. Um, For me, that's what I was looking for. Um, And then talk to people. Just keep talking to people. And I, at least for me, I knew in my gut and in my heart when I found the right person to work with. Um, In terms of the, the, the different groups, for me, it was helpful to just get exposure to different philosophies and different groups because I didn't know what was going to work for me. Um, so it's I understand it's a lot of information, and as a newcomer, especially coming into a lot of talk about the big book, um, it's it's can be overwhelming. So my suggestion is follow your gut, pray on it, see what God tells you, and I'd be happy to talk to you more in more detail about, you know, what I did. If you want to give me a call, I'm, I'm happy to chat. Well, thank you so much. Sure. Thanks, Shelley, and thanks to everybody who asked questions this morning. And, of course, thank you to our speaker, Aaron G. Thank you so much for sharing your message of hope and possibility for all of us on the line this morning. Aaron, thank you. Today, my pleasure, my pleasure. Today's share ID is 10161. That's 10161. I'm going to close from page 164 entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.